Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name is Brent. In this episode, we're discussing SST-80, the Sonic Youth 12-inch single for Star Power. We kind of explored this era of Sonic Youth before on the Evol album, and we'll talk a bit about that. But still kind of looking forward to getting into this. Um, it was an interesting package to listen to, actually. I, I kind of got these songs in a different way this time, listening to them on a 12-inch. I always like 12 inches, so it was very cool. Um, we've also got a special guest, though, Brent. Yeah, we've got Michael Whitaker on the podcast today. Michael, uh, well, you'll you'll hear all about him pretty soon here. Yeah, well, not only did he work at SST, but, I mean, it'll be no surprise to listeners of the show that, I mean, we're going through the SST catalog, but we are also we also have a deep love and appreciation for, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond, I guess in particular North America, but, you know, underground music. And Michael Whitaker was one of the guys in the 80s that kind of... Um, helped support that network and he's got some killer stories yeah for sure so looking forward to that i've got a couple of very quick recommend spiels brent two of these are actually from 2018 uh, i'm just late to the game and i know we're, we already did our best of 2018 oh, that happens that happens man yeah yep. i'm uh but i'm i'm getting into them lately and i wanted to mention these two and then i've got a third which goes back to 2014 Two bands, I guess you would call them, I would call them, I guess, post-hardcore, kind of math, kind of noise. Um, one band is Canadian called Life in Vacuum, Brent. Have you ever heard of them? No, never. Yeah, from Toronto. Been around for a while. Their, uh, their last album, though, they're young, though. Uh, well, younger than me, anyways. Their latest album from 18 called All You Can Quit. It's really good. Okay. I just... Um, I really like it. It's catchy. Um, it's noisy. It's loud. It's angry. I like it. The next one I wanted to mention, recommend, I, I guess, is a band called Fiddlehead. And not the band Fiddlehead that put out that um, really awesome um, 10-inch on Allied Records in like 1994. This is a band, um, they're new, like newer, I guess. Their record is called Springtime and Blind. And again, um, kind of post-hardcore, math, noise, but really good. I'm really liking it. Super catchy as well. Oh, I should mention that Life in Vacuum record is on New Damage Records. And this Fiddlehead record is on uh, Run for Cover Records. Okay. I don't know either Fiddlehead band. so You don't know the 94 fiddlehead band no, no i don't the one on allied i think the record is called the deaf waiter hmm. um i think but that's a good i think it's a 10 inch oh i'm gonna dig that one out anyways final recommend is uh, a band brand called the number ones different vibe than my first two recommends these guys are probably a little bit more i guess straight ahead a little bit more pop but they really remind me of that band um, Royal Headache and also the uh, Casanovas and Heat, oh. that kind of vibe. Okay. And and these guys are just killer. It's 10 tracks. It's an LP, but it plays on 45 and it's really good. And it's on Deranged Records from 2014. Those three you should check out. 
yeah, Deranged is pretty consistent, consistently good label for me. Yeah. Do you have anything else on Deranged? Oh yeah, all kinds of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is my first record on Deranged Records. Oh yeah. Yeah, I know there's there's lots of good stuff on on that label. Uh, does it bother you, Ryan, when you find something from 2018 that you like that you did not get to put in your top 10? Yes. That bothers you? It it drives yes. me nuts. Yeah. 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 Well, it's like um, last year when we did our, what was it? What would it have been? The best of 2017, yep. I suppose. I was choked that I couldn't even put on the last uh, the latest dinosaur junior record on the best of 2017. And I think that was from 2015. Yeah. But I guess you're talking about if you discover something after, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 No, no, no. That sucks. Oh yeah. My OCD can't hang with that. <laughs> <laughs> you got anything for me? I have one spiel. So a while ago, Ryan, you had asked me, I think this is what you asked me. You either asked me, would I go see black flag or would I go see dead Kennedy's? Or maybe you asked me both. I, I think remember. I asked both because you raised um, the point that Black Flag were playing again with Greg Ginn. Right. And I think both you and I were like, yeah, we would go see the Ginn flag, but we would not go see Dead Kennedys without Jello. Right. I think is where we landed. Well, I stand by that. But there's this podcast called The Nine Club. Now, I grew up in skateboarding, right? Like skateboarding... I, I identified as a skater, still do, and I mean, I still ride a skateboard, but I mean, you know, I was really into skateboarding when I was a kid, and it's what how I got into punk rock, um, but one skater I that kind of eluded me for no specific reason was Mike Vallelay, who is now the singer for Black Flag. And his name's come up at least once on the podcast, I recall Abe Gibson telling a story about him that was not super flattering on our, I think it was on our blasting concept uh, episode way back when. I think so, yep. And I mean, let's be honest, those good for you records are not great. We will be getting to those in like a decade. And I know he didn't sing on it, but that Black Flag album they did with Ron, like the reunion record is also not great. But this podcast called the nine club. So what it is, is it's interviews with skaters, new, old, lots of, you know, I only really listen to the, the guys from the eighties and nineties, early nineties. Cause that's, you know, when I was a skater, mainly in the eighties, when I was a kid, it was really hard to get skate videos. So we only had like three or four and I didn't have any that had Mike Vallee on them. So he was never one of my guys, but obviously I knew who he was and he was one of the most famous skaters when I was a kid because it was on the he was on the Bones Brigade for a while and and all the all that kind of stuff. He had a really iconic graphic. Anyways, he's interviewed on this podcast, The Nine Club, which is as I said, all interviews with skaters. It's a five hour interview. Holy yeah, it, which is too long for me. I listened to it in several different uh, sessions. After listening to it, he talks mostly about skateboarding, but if you grew up skating, especially in the 80s, you would really enjoy the podcast. He definitely has a passion for, for skateboarding. He's got quite the story. He, he's a really driven guy. He's very smart, really well-spoken. Towards the end, they, they do ask him about Black Flag, and he tells all about how he met Greg Ginn. 
uh, his band at the time, Revolution Mother. That's uh, was Mike Vallelay's band was opening for Greg Ginn's band for some shows, and that's how he he met Greg Ginn, and he just he describes a Greg Ginn that was incredibly supportive. He talks about how much touring. This is a recent interview, like it just just came out like a week or two ago. He talks about all the touring they're going to do and how excited they are. And I have to tell you, man, I have total respect for Mike Vallelay after listening to that podcast. Right on. Well, hey, we said we would go see that show. Yeah. But now I guess, um, you know, maybe we drive a couple extra hours to go see it. Yeah. I like that. Good one. So that's my spiel, Ryan. Um, listen, for this Michael Whitaker interview, I'll just let everybody know again I think I mentioned this maybe a week or two ago it doesn't really have anything to do with this release we just felt like there wasn't really much to talk about with this release that we we haven't already covered so we wanted to give everybody something kind of interesting so let's let's cut to the interview with Michael Whitaker Ryan and then we'll come back and talk about it and this release history lesson part one all right, we're talking to Michael Whitaker today. Michael, thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, dude, my, my total pleasure, man. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. And how are you doing? I'm doing quite fine. You know, it's like um, I'm here in my, my home in Maine. Today was like a beautiful 50-degree day, which, um, you know, is, is, is quite cool in the winter. So yeah. anyway, so um, so you're, you're talking about SSP. So, um, dude, basically, you know, I moved from Boston with my wife, who I'm so with, um, you know, to uh, Los Angeles in, in 1984, just in time for the Olympics. Okay. Um, when everyone else was leaving. Know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, we, we decided to like, uh, to go there and, um, it was really, a uh, sort of on a wing and a prayer. We, we like, uh, came into town, like a, a beat up Honda Civic and, uh, thought we would take the town by storm and LA basically kicked our ass. I mean, <laughs> You know, we ended up, uh, my wife ended up, like, selling New York Times at the Olympics. And uh, I ended up, like, um, my first gig was doing rehearsals at SIR. Okay. And uh, I did rehearsals for everyone from, like, uh, The Temptations to Deep Purple to, you know, Us, Final Tap. When they, uh, with, after the movie, they were, like, uh, thinking about they were going to do, like, a sequel. And what the sequel was going to be was, like, sort of a country and western thing. And the whole thing was with that uh, Nigel's brother, who was a national musician, died. And they moved to Nashville and became country and western. It was really <laughs> awesome. I got to hang out with them a lot and everything. I've um, never heard that course, one before. You know, um, oh yeah, dude, it was pretty amazing. But you know, here, here's the thing: it, it, it's like uh, my love um, was, was was punk. I mean, uh, punk changed my life, like so many of us. Um, mm-hmm. I was in San Antonio when um, Kiss and KMAT, the big radio station, they played the first uh, Ramones album. They were actually the first uh, FM station to add the Ramones into regular rotation, oh, cool. um, which is pretty weird for Texas. But the two guys, uh, Lou Rampany and Joe Roney, um, they put a ton of shows, um, including the Sex Pistols at Randy's Rodeo. Right. And I went to there. And they also, um, they did the Runaways. And I was working with bands even then. Like, I, I called them and I was like, dude, you know, I'm working with like a teenage rock band and you've got these teenage girls. So we should have like a total teenage bill. And that was like my first like sort of rock and roll promotion. And I took that and I, I went to Boston and I started this um, club with my friend Jimmy Kaufman. And we were like a, sort of the first like a kind of post-punk because this was 1979. We did the first U.S. shows for like, a, not the first shows, but the uh, 
some of the first shows, but like, you know, everybody from like a, the Cure and Bauhaus and, uh, you know, Auntie Posty and Pylon and, you know, pretty much uh, the whole, the whole gamut. I mean, the uh, New Order, before they were New Order, they announced, hey, we changed our name for New Order. This is like, uh, because we had them booked this Joy Division, of course, he didn't kill himself. Right. Then they came over again. They, like, had all their gear sold in New York. We, like, got all their gear for them. You know, they still did the show, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, so, like, you know, Boston was cool, but um, left Boston and did Sound and Dance at Curia, okay. um, which was really, you know, very amazing. Um, and did that for about six months or so. And also I was doing tours for, like, you know, the Ray Beats and the uh, Bush Tetras, the Raincoats, Bad Gadget, um, all this kind of stuff. So when we moved to L.A., you know, I had kind of a lot of crap under my belt. You know, I thought it was like, Mr. Fucking King Hill Punk Rock. Let me go, baby. You know, the wife and I thought we'd move to L.A. and, and take the town by storm. Uh, little did we know that we'd get, like, you know, our asses handed to us on a platter. So basically, so we're in L.A. and, you know, doing shit gigs. And, um, but I did happen to meet Cat and Brian from this band, Legal Weapon, uh, who were like a cool punk band. And uh, they really dug the cut of my jib um, or the cuts of my jibes. I'm not really sure which. I ended up being their manager. And, uh, you know, we were doing a gig at the Myron's Ballroom, which was this, like, uh, cool old, like, a uh, taxi dance place. Do you know what a taxi dance was? No. There was, like, a diamond dance. Like, like in, in the 20s and 30s and 40s, like, like, all these, like, lonely men would go to these places, and there'd be all these taxi dancers, diamond dance girls. Okay. And basically, you'd get this, you know, you'd pay a dollar and get a row of 10 tickets, and you'd go, and like, oh, here, here you go. And the girl would have to dance to you, <laughs> dance with you, not dance to you, dance with you. It was not a lap dance or anything. It was right, like, you know, right. you know, it's a bunch of 20s and 30s, you know, it's all above board. Yep. But, um, yeah, so it's one of those, you know, old, like, you know, just full of like, you know, sort of like old L.A. noir places. But anyway, it's it like a legal weapon show. You know, I'm doing sound because, you know, like that's how I developed tours. I was like a big sound guy. Okay. You know, I'm like uh, standing there and like, you know, then someone comes into the sound booth. I'm like, what the fuck? And it was like, Chuck. And like, oh, dude, how are you? Now, you got to remember, it's like, um, I had done like Black Flags, like first shows in Boston. Okay. Um, so I knew like, you know, Chuck and Greg, you know, and um, well, actually, Davo did the sound. But, you know, it's like, you know, it's kind of cool. So they kind of dug me and they're like, hey, man, how's it going? And I'm like, hey, man, how are you? And, and like, you know, he said, hey, you know, and look, there's Greg. And I'm like, hey, Greg, how you doing? <laughs> and like, well, so, um, so how do you like work with Legal Weapon? I'm like, you know, it's right on, dude. It's right on. Listen, you know, um, Greg and I were wondering, I mean, you know, do you, are you looking for anything else to do? And I'm like, dude, I'm like, I'm fucking starving. You know, what, <laughs> you know, do, do, you know, is Dave okay? You know, like, I thought it was like a sound. Right, right. right. And Chuck was like, well, no, we were, we were wondering, um, do you want to come down to global? And like, um, global, what's that? Well, that's, uh, you know, you got to like picture Chuck just like kind of, you know, like rubbing, you know, his, he would always rub like his left wrist with his right hand, like when he's talking, like right. kind of this weird, like you know, I don't know. And like he's like, well, no, it's the uh, you know the, the booking part of this. I'm like, dude, of course, you know. So I went down to Hawthorne, and uh, you know, it's like a fuck, I'm gonna like three bus rides, and they got to go over the, the, the fucking La Brea Hills, like the old oil you know fields, and you know down through like you know just like horrible like you know whatever like crazy things. You know, so I get there, and, and this was the um, the pad in Hawthorne, okay. um, and Black Flag's rehearsal space is in the bottom. And so I come through the door, and, like, the first thing I see is, like, um, 
you know, Greg, of course, with the guitar, like, draped over him, like, you know, playing with headphones on, listening to who knows what. And Chuck's like, hey, man. And then Lee comes through the door. I'm like, wow, hey, you know, how's it going? Yeah. And he's like, hey, man. And then, like, Flea and Greg go downstairs, and Chuck looks at me and goes, you didn't see this. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I do. I'm totally cool with that. Um, and this is when, um, you know, when, when Chuck was sort of leaving, and they are auditioning new bass players. Oh. And, like, you know, they did a whole bunch of people. But, you know, sometimes I wonder, man, what it have been like if, like, a, if, like Flea had played bass and no been Black Flag? You know, that would have been <laughs> fucking insane. I, I don't think their personalities would have necessarily meshed. But, Probably but you know, not, yeah. um, that was that, and this is not. So anyway, um, Chuck's like, uh, well, you know, um, we don't have any desks, so um, here's a piece of cardboard. So I, you know, I sat down cross-legged on the floor and put the cardboard in lap. And he's like, so, okay, now you see all these? Now, I don't know where he got them. And, you know, to this day, you know, it's like, I'm, I really, so many of the things that Chuck does, I just... You know, it's like almost magical, dude. You have to understand. It was like crazy magical. And and then like he goes, these phone books, you know, they're 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 towns that, that we might want to go tour in. So look in the yellow pages, look for every nightclub. And I go, okay, and I get their phone number. I'm like, so I get it, you know, every, you know, it's like you know Tallahassee, Tuscaloosa, you know, wherever. Like you know, all these bumfuck towns. You know, I get the nightclubs. And like, okay, cool. Now what I want you to do is just like call every club and see number one. You know, do they have live music? Uh, two, do they have a PA? And three, do they have booking agents? So it's like, you know, right away I'm doing like all these fucking cold calls, and I'm, I'm not really sure why. Right. You know, and then and then Chuck gives me like a copy of this thing. It's called the uh, the Editors and Publishers Yearbook, and basically what it is is it, like this um this like listing of like every publication in the United States. It's like no, well, okay, now look at all these cities, and then you know find any publication. And I don't care, even if it's like, you know, pig farmers fucking pigs monthly, you know, put it down there. And, you know, that was like um, my first insight in, into like, you know, these dudes were not like, not feet of their pants. Right. You know what I mean? What, what fascinates me is like the, uh, you know, the sheer determination to get as much information to make the best decision possible yeah. by any means necessary. You know what I mean? It was like, it, it was, you know, fucking brilliant. I mean, you know definitely I mean? a method like, to um, their madness, for sure. Oh, my God, dude. And, you know, well, you know, in, in a way, you know, I, I, like, chalk it up to, like, you know, Chuck's Germanic heritage. You know what I mean? That, that same, you know, the same sort of thing that allowed, like, a, you know, the guy from Africa, Rommel, to, like, you know, do, like, great, like, you know, campaigns because he, like, painstakingly researched every single facet of right. where he was going. Right. You know what I mean? So basically, you know, my, my first, um, you know, I started off at Global, like being what I later became, a librarian, you know, basically <laughs> just like accumulating like a bunch of facts and figures and everything. And then one day I came into work and, and like, you know, Chuck's like, you know, um, Greg thinks you should go over to SST. I'm like, wow, really, dude? That's, you know, I'm like, fuck, hey, that's like really amazing. Um, but of course, you know, I'm like outwardly cool, like, all right, all right. <laughs> Then I go to SST, you know, and again, it's like, you know, three fucking bus rides, you know, because like, like, I'm living in, in like, you know, the heart of Hollywood, you know, right. right on Raleigh Street, just like a couple blocks from the Paramount Studios and all that sort of thing. And so I started SST. Basically, I was a, I was a third man, you know, after, after like Joe and Ray, you know, although I'm not like a, um, I'm not Harry Lime, uh, I am as bad as Orson Welles. So it was, it was really groovy. 
but again, you know, it's like, so I go in and uh, Chuck gives me like a Rolodex. And uh, essentially, it's like the biggest Rolodex I've ever seen in my life. Right. And he's like, oh, this is every record store in the United States. I'm like, wow, really? I want you to call them and see if they have SST records. And like, okay. So I started. And, and literally, dude, I like, you know, I was just down the phone, da, da, da. And, and like, I was doing it for like about a, maybe an hour, hour and a half. And then Chuck again, he's like, hey, you know, just, you know, and I, I, I wish I could do a Chuck impersonation because it would make the story sound so much cooler. It's like, hey, um, listen, I was wondering, you know, you're saying this is Michael from SST. Would you would you mind saying that you're a spaceman from SST? <laughs> and of course, I'm so enthralled to Chuck. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, dude, of course. You know, so then I'm like, hello, this is spaceman from SST. And, you know, it, honestly, dude, it wasn't until probably two and a half or three months later that, like, you know, Carducci comes over and goes, you know, uh, Mike Watt called himself Spaceman. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. And, and to this day, you know, it's like the last time um, Watt came through Portland, Maine, which is where I live, yeah. um, you know, I had him stay over my pad because, you know, we're old pals and all that sort of thing. And, you know, one of the things that I still think, you know, bugs him, he's like, I was the original Spaceman. I was, <laughs> I was number one. You're number two. I'm like, okay, Mike. Okay, that's cool, man. You know. Because, you know, you don't, like, argue with Mike. That's it's, right. Like, it's impossible. <laughs> you know? um, he, just, he just, like, hang on and, like, you know, try to learn. That's that's my, you know, my, my like, approach to what, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, anyway, there I was. And, like, you know, so I became Spaceman from SOC. This is, like, um, trying, you know, before you called, I was, like, trying to pinpoint, like, when I started. Because it, it's all sort of nebulous. I, I try to figure out, like, you know, because I think I started global, like, you know, late 84 and, and SST, like, you know, in, in the first couple of months of 85. But, but you know, it's all kind of blur because, you know, I like smoked a shitload of weed and, you know, all that kind of stuff. You mentioned Joe Carducci's name, so obviously he was still there. I believe he didn't leave until maybe 86? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly, yeah. You know, being able to work with someone like Carducci and, and, and Ray Farrell, too. Right. I mean, it was like, you know, going to, like... Uh, you know, the best rock and roll university on the face of the planet, you know, on a scholarship, you know, because, you know, they, they were like, you know, grown ass men. And I was like, you know, a fucking callow, you know, stupid youth, you know, basically. And, and I'm quite sure, you know, one of the reasons that, um, you know, that Greg and Chuck wanted to throw me into the mix is because like, you know, Joe and Ray were like record dudes. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, they like, you know, they knew every fucking thing about distribution Whereas I was like a road dog, you know, it's like, you know, I was like a touring guy, you know, I'd been, you know, I, I'd been in, in a band just like them. Right. And I think sometimes what they were looking for was, was like kind of a balance mm -hmm. in, in the way things went out. And, and, you know, I was also, in addition to being like, you know, a, a great road dog, also like, a, you know, a crazy ass promo dude as well. They obviously saw something in you. And it, it seems like that's a common theme with some of the people that ended up working there. It's like, we like this person. We think they would be a good fit in some capacity. Let's get them in the door and find what they're good at and let them do it. Yeah, dude, definitely. I, I think that was totally, totally the mantra in those first, those first years. I mean, it, it's quite obvious when you look at the people. I mean, you know, none of us really should have had a gig, you know, <laughs> you know, as cool as this, quite honestly. But, you know, so there I am, and, like, you know, doing all this crazy stuff, you know, it's like, um, and, and this is also, you have to understand, like, the, uh, the transition from, 
from records into CDs. You know, right. one of the last things that uh, Carducci did was like he had like a like vinyl dividers. You know, those little things they have like A and B yep, and yep. C. Like Joe had those manufactured, but they were SST dividers. Like everyone had like every SST release printed on it. So if like you went to like B for Black Flag, you know, you'd see like every other SST band. It was like a brilliant promotional thing. Um, but sadly, as soon as we got them, like, you know, people were getting rid of vinyl and going to CDs and, you know, it's all that. <laughs> Great so, idea, um, though. Oh, dude. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I know Greg sometimes gets like a, um, you know, a weird rap hung on his head. Right. But you have to understand, for like me and the time that I was there, no matter how insane the idea was, like Greg would always like say, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? He, he would give everything a shot. And, and even if it failed, he really didn't care. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and that's, um, you know, that's something that, that is like so rare. And, and, and you know, it, it, it's like, you know, I think that's what contributed ultimately to like, SST's like amazing story. Mm-hmm. It was like a safe haven for really creative people to have a chance to fail. Because you know, here's here's the thing about the music business: it, it's like um, nobody knows what's going to click. Right. You know, even after like you know, tons of like branding dollars and marketing dollars and blah 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 blah. You know, shit that goes out on a wing and a prayer blows yeah. up. Shit that goes up with like a million dollars of hype falls flat on its face. You know, and I think that's the thing that Greg recognized is that there are no rules. You know what I mean? Anybody trying to codify it is they're just trying to justify their huge salary. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, so, so it's all about the rock. Yeah. It was oh, all about sure. just like doing stuff. You know, oh my God, it was, it was just like, you know, it, it was like so liberating and, and so just like, you know, God, it, it was just, it was just amazing. I, I can't even <laughs> to like, you know, try to convey to people like, you know, the, the exhilaration that came from, like, fucking with the music business. Because, like, you know, I'm a gregarious guy. And, and, and my wife, Michelle, she ended up at Slash. Oh, okay. Um, you know, so it's like, so because of that, you know, it's like, yeah, so she's working at Slash, and I'm working at SFT. And, you know, so we have, like, sort of Hollywood cred. Yeah. But, you know, we're, like, you know, talking to these people, and, like, you know, you know, they're just all treading water. And, like, you know, they really, you know, they, they like music, but they don't want to work. It's like, it was it was crazy, man. So let me ask you this: How do you go from phoning record stores and see, and saying, "Hey, it's Spaceman. I'm calling to see if you have the new Saccharin Trust." How and, do you uh, how do you how do you go to, from that to doing publicity? Well, um, that was like uh, you know Ray was doing radio and publicity, and as we started getting more artists, and, and really as, as soon as the you know the Minutemen started blowing up, and Who's Produced started blowing up. Here's the whole thing. It, it, it's like um, people have to understand no one at SST wanted to be like in a punk rock ghetto. I mean, we all believed all these bands should be bigger than the Eagles. That's the other aspect to SST that, um, you know, really has to be, you know, lauded. And, and, and again, I, I lay this all the feet of, of like, you know, Greg and Chuck and also Mugger, you know, Steve Corbin. God, dude, you know, that guy was such an amazing cheerleader and, you know, kept the wheels greased so we could be fuck-ups. Right. But, you know, we all wanted to be, like, you know, we wanted to, like, change the world. I mean, it, it's like, you know, commie revolutionaries, you know, kick out the jams, motherfucker, like, 
you know, go crazy. I mean, that was the thing. I mean, so so basically, Ray said, like, well, look, you know, if I have to concentrate on on regular, you know, FM radio and also college radio, I can't do publicity. So then, you know, well, okay, well, I can fucking, you know, I can do publicity. <laughs> and, you know, I took to it like a, a duck to water. I mean, I fucking, um, I loved making up stories. I loved, like, calling people and, and telling stories. You know, it's like, um, you know, and, and not only that, but I, I made myself available to the bands. Well, for like, you know, perfect example, like, so we're doing Negative Land, and we okay. did the first record, and, and then, like, um, I forget, I, I mean, it was Rich, I, I don't know, I don't know who called me initially, but it's like, hey, uh, Spaceman, because that's all they knew me at that time. Right. Uh, listen, you know, we're, um, we're wondering if you would do something for us. I'm like, sure, dude. I'm like, okay, so um, we were reading about in, in Minnesota, this, like, uh, this kid uh, who's, like, a really religious family, he, like, he went crazy and, like, uh, blew his whole family away. I'm like, oh, dude, that sucks. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Um, do you know anybody in Minnesota? And of course, I knew John Bream, you know, the uh, the, the big writer for the the the, the, the uh, Minneapolis paper, the Tribune or the Star Star Tribune. Who knows? Okay. I mean, they're all like, um, you know, journals. But anyway, so it's like, yeah. Well, would you feel okay, like, calling him and 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 telling him that, uh, you know, the kid was listening to uh, our song "Christianity <laughs> Is Stupid" and that made him kill his parents? I'm like, fucking hey, dude. You know, so so. You know, and to this day, I feel somewhat guilty, but but not really. You know, I called John, you know, because I, I put John on the spot. But I called John. Hey, John. It's like, hey, spaceman, how you doing? I'm like, okay, hey, listen, man, do you have a minute? I'm like, uh, yeah. I'm like, okay, dude. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm really not sure, you know, how how to say this, but uh, you know that kid that killed his family? Oh yeah, that was terrible. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, um, you know, some people are telling me that he was listening to uh negative lands christianity is stupid really <laughs> and so so Breen, like fucking, he printed something about that oh wow and then like you know got picked up by upi and then like you know newsweek called and time called and and like and, and that became the basis for helter stupid and, and that's when i realized like like fuck you know what i mean you can almost say anything to get publicity right um because here's the thing you know it's like i realized like early on like Publicity is like is like P.T. Barnum. It's it's like showboating. It's just like getting shit in front of, you know, getting shit on on, on papers or not shit for crap, but you know, like a like stuff in, in, in the thing and you know, twisting the truth. You know, so what? Because you know, ultimately, and, and this is a sad reality for every publicist. And, I, and I'm, I'm now going to like uh, make sure they take like a probably a, a twenty thousand dollar hit to their salaries. But you know what? Publicity doesn't sell shit. You know what I mean? It, it, it's like um, the Minutemen had a press kit like as fucking thick as like all four of my fingers. Yeah. But you know what? They, they never sold more than 34,000 records. You know what I mean? It, it's like, and other bands like Opal had a press kit like, you know, two fingers. But, you know, they sold more. You know what I mean? It, it's like, again, this goes back to what I was saying. It's like nobody knows about the music business. Nobody knows what's going to click. You know what I mean? It's like this, this, this crap shoot. When you're doing the publicity, are you predominantly focusing on working the records, or are you doing like uh, publicity for tours as well? Oh, all of it. All of it. You yeah. Know what I mean, it, it's like records and tours. You know, I would do like a um, a weekly SST, and, and this is where, um, you know, so I start writing like a lot. 
you know, we, we had like, I, I remember we got our first computer. I'm like, oh, my. You know, it's like a DOS shell, you know, like, like semicolon, you know, right sign, right sign, right sign, <laughs> DOS, left sign, left sign, left sign, open, word, dot, 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 you know, like that kind of stuff. Right. But I was doing like, um, like weekly press releases. But we also had our first Xerox machine. So what I would do is I would take like um, band press photos, put that in the Xerox, and I would run like envelopes through. So okay. each envelope had like on the front of it, like an SST band, and I'd put like a sticker with like the address and our sticker with our return address. So so each, even each like lettered on the outside was like a promo thing. Right. But you know, a weekly press release, you know, going out to like, I don't know, I think there was like almost 600 people on our thing. And, and uh, wow. you, know, you know, I'd talk about tours, I would talk about like new releases, I would talk about gossip. You know, for a while I had like the Zoops Rift would write, you know, when I always find Zoops, would say, yeah, you know, and uh, the publicist, and, you know, I put out a thing every, every week. I, I want to put my stuff in there every week. I'm like, <laughs> all right, Zoops. And, and literally every week, there would be this, like, two-page, like, Momo Infantado, like, fucking dripping Zoops insanity, like, <laughs> you know, just, like, fucking brilliant. You know, I'd put those in there and, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, it, basically what it, what it came down to, you know, and, and this is true for, like, you know, all of us, it was all about serving the artist. I never wanted to be anything other than a facilitator of, of artist making great and important work. And, you know, what, what Greg and Chuck gave me was an opportunity to sort of, like, you know, fulfill my destiny in a way. You know what I mean? I, I know it sounds kind of corny. Not at all. But uh, it was like... It was like fucking brilliant, dude. I, I can't even begin to tell you. As we moved through the, uh, the various stages and we started signing more and more bands, you know, Joe left and that was kind of weird. Right. And, and then Mugger left and that was kind of weird. And then we started signing more and more bands. That was fucking cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so here's the thing. It, it, it's like, um, you know, and plus we, we had to move a couple times. But, um, but the thing is, we, we kept getting bigger and bigger. You know, then Ray, like, hired Brian Lone, uh, who you definitely have to talk to. Okay. I think Brian was, like, the uh, the fourth the fourth SST dude. And Brian was brought in to do college radio. And that was really cool. And then um, and then I uh, eventually got to the point where my publicity was becoming so, so onerous. Because, like, you know, I, I started, like, you know, really, you know, getting, like, a ton of articles and, you know, started doing, like, you know... Um, you know, to, to like sort of promote SST was doing um, like all these conventions, like you know, new music seminars on right. like panels and yep. and South by Southwest and, and, and like so I was like uh, on this publicity panel at South by Southwest, and this was right after we had like um, signed these Immortal Souls. So you know, I have like a you know this big panel and it's like you know I'm I'm a speaker and there's like a Bob Merlis from Warner Brothers and blah 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 from this and that and you know me I'm like. Fucking, you know, I want to be like a, a punk provocateur. So I like, uh, I talk into the, uh, the hotel because, you know, I, I dig the working class. So I found the janitor. I'm like, hey, listen, uh, in this conference room, is, is there like an in, in room PA? He's like, oh, no, it's here. I'm like, all right. <laughs> and so I, I go to Roland. I'm like, hey, Roland, listen, I, I got this crazy idea. You know, I know, you know you're doing this gig later on you know, in the evening, but I'm doing a publicity panel. 
so why don't we do this? I'm like, And basically what I did is like uh, I had them come in, I had them set up and uh, had all their you know vocals and everything running from PA. And so, um, you know, we're doing the publicity panel and the moderator's like, da 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 And now a uh, space man from SST. I'm like, yes, now um, publicity is getting your artists in front of many people as you can see possible. And then I like, you know, I had Roland and everybody come in and then they picked up their instruments and did like two songs right there in the middle of the uh, South Lake Southwest Tower. <laughs> and it, it was fucking, we used to do it all, all the time. You know, another time at, at New Music Seminar, you know, we're, we're like, uh, you know, because, you know, here's the thing. It's like um, Greg always wanted us to like um, be able to like, you know, compete. So right. we're staying at, at like, you know, the fancy hotel with everybody else. And so like Doss Don, I'm like, hey, dudes, listen, want to do something fun? And like, yeah. So again, you know, working class, I went to the loading dock and I had like, you know, I, I gave 20 bucks to like the dude with the key and they had the band bring up all their gear to the 22nd floor and we brought it into like the hotel room and I stacked <laughs> up all the, you know, the mattresses against the windows and all that sort of thing and they had them set up all their gear and then I just had them do like a set right here <laughs> in this hotel and like fucking, you know, people are spilling out the doors and like going crazy and the cops come and you know, so it's like, you know, if it's a, uh, you know, that was SST. It was like, you know, like try to be as, as like, you know, entertaining and against the grain and like, right. for lack of a better word, fuck you, yeah. you know, <laughs> as possible. Tell me more about uh, your time in Boston. Like what kind of bands were, who who are the big, who are your favorite bands, you know, that you, that you worked uh, with in uh, Boston? And and you, you mentioned this club well, um, that you started. Did you like? Did you start a club there, or were you, did you just like promote shows at a at an existing venue? Well, no, no. It was like a, uh, this guy Jimmy Kaufman. There was this club, uh, Sweet Virginia's. It was like sort of a, a Boston mob joint. Okay. And he went to them and he said, "Hey, look, uh, there's this thing called New Wave. If you <laughs> let me uh, take over the club and do New Wave, it's called Sweet Virginia's." And then uh, he took it over and he changed the name to the Underground. And uh, I met him right the first day, and I said, you know, hey, uh, you know, do you have a sound man? Now, keep in mind, I didn't know anything about doing sound. I was 18, right. just like full of, you know, young, dumb, and full of cum. Like, yeah, I could do sound. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so so then I had to do my first negotiation. So I, I, like, negotiated a deal where I would do sound for $25 a week. <laughs> it was like fucking, so I ended up sleeping there, like, in, in, a, in a curved booth, so I think part of my spinal problem is like, you know, in my youth, like, in a curved booth, which is really hard, you know, you fall out a lot, but, but anyway, but uh, like I said, we did like the um, first shows for like, you know, New Order and Bauhaus and, right. you know, Pylon and Bush Tetras and Ray Beats, and, and because of that, that's how I got gigs, like, you know, doing tours for like Bush Tetras and Ray Beats, but in terms of Boston, um, my favorite bands, you know, artists, obviously, dude, Mission of Burma, the Neats, Talia Zedek, who is still, you know, rocking with like Uzi and come. And I'm so, you know, pals with all these people. I mean, you know, this is the thing you, you have to understand, dude, it, it's like that, that scene was like a crucible. You know, it, it, it like took all these like formless lumps of carbon and, and like hardened us into these like, you know, crazy diamonds. You know, and, and I think that's the way that um, that the business sort of separates the wheat from the chaff. Yeah. You know, what I mean, when you're like um, 18, of course, you and all your friends, 
But then when you're about 25, about half those people have like dropped off. Right. Like, oh yeah, well, you know, I need a job. Uh, then when you're 30, it's about half again. <laughs> you know, and I think that's the way the music business used to like matriculate, you know, good people to work in it. You know what I mean? Because you had to be committed. Because you know, here's the whole thing, the crazy thing, and I, I spoke about this before, is that the music business, nobody knows what the fuck is going to happen. So how do you like justify your, your place in this business that is ultimately really cool? I mean, you get to like make a lot of money having fun, but you know, how do you like, you know, have a barrier? Well, it's like, did you put your time in the trenches? Did you like, uh, do you know this band? Do you know, like, you know, do you know this import? Do you know who did this? You know what I mean? All these like, you know, little like secret handshakes, you know, based on your knowledge of music and, and your desire to like, you know, just give your life over to music. Right. You know what I mean? Because you had to be committed to to the rock. So, um, you know, Boston was like, you know, an amazing scene. Um, you know, some people just don't believe me when I say that, that, like, you know, I would stack up, you know, the Boston scene about anybody. I mean, you know, when we... I know, agree, yeah. When FSB Control, you know, started, I mean, you know, like the, the beginnings of hardcore, you know, and then after the underground, Jimmy and I did another club called Streets, and there we did the first shows for like, you know, Bad Brains and Gun Club and Tuxedo Moon, like you know. So it, so it's like you know we were always, you know, in, involved in in um, or I was always involved, um, you know, in, in the rock. And, and again, and this is the important thing. And I and I think this is what what held Joe, Ray, Brian, Adam Bond, and me together is a desire to um, facilitate the needs of our artists. And, you know, I felt my, my entire reason for being was to, like, you know, make my bands have a good time. You know, make, even when I was doing sound, make them be heard clearly. When I'm doing retail, make sure their records are known. When I'm doing publicity, get their records and, and their stories in the press. It was all about facilitation. And I know that, that Joe did the same thing and Ray did the same thing. You know, and I think sometimes where... Um, you know, where SST started to change is when Greg and Chuck were no longer picking who the employees were going to be. It, it became Brian picking or Ray picking or, you know what I mean? Like, right. like you know, people, you know, one level down. And, you know, at that time, you know, the whole scene was changing. You know, alternative music was no longer like this weird ghetto. It was like, it was cool. And at some point, you know, I, I realized that, you know, some of the people being hired at SST were not really as committed to the rock as, as all the rest of us were. They, they were more like sort of like treading water there until they can get a gig at a, at a major label. You know I mean, SST stopped being like a, like a, a reason to live and became more of a stepping stone. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, like a understand. career stepping stone. You know, it, it, it's just an odd sort of thing. And, and that's, um, that's one of the reasons that I, that I um, you know, decided to leave ST, quite honestly. It, it, it's like um, I no longer felt the, um, the mission was pure. Yeah. Um, when was that? This was like uh, 88, I think. Okay. Yeah, late 88, probably. 
And, you know, just because they're, you know, we, we were starting to become, like, so big. I mean, you know, there were, like, I don't know, two or three, four radio people, you know, that were, like, and, and, and this is the thing that happens to any any cool thing, you know what I mean? It, it, it's like the uh, the original impetus, the, the original um, notions have to become subsumed to the uh, continuation of, of the whole deal. You know what I mean? Once you become so large that, that you require like a, a certain amount of dough to keep going, then it becomes a, a different sort of trip. Because, you know, all the, you know, most of the time that I was there, I mean, it, it, it was, you know, it was touch and go. I mean, you know, you got to remember, it's like, you know, we were dealing with like a distributors folding and, and owing us like, right. like 80,000 bucks. Like, yeah. You know, where are we going to find this? Lots of you lesser know, labels you know, and, folded and, and, under that kind of financial strain. Yeah, and, and, it, yeah. and it's really only a testament to uh, to Mugger, quite honestly. Um, you know, he was the guy who um, understood how to move money, how, how to like um, how to keep things going, how to like make that payroll. I mean, you know, his transition from the nig heist to like you know uh, just this brilliant businessman. Truly is, you know, to my mind, uh, one of the exemplars uh, of, of the American dream. Yeah. I mean, that guy really, by nothing more than his balls and his word, you know, crafted just an, an amazing, you know, not, you know, in SSC an amazing thing, but, but he went on to do even more amazing things. You know what I mean? It, it's like a... Yeah, it's, quite, it's out, quite a so, story. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. Hey, tell us about the 52 Girls Project girls well um you know here's the deal you know i got like this uh this crazy diagnosis of, of this uh deadly disease I, I was actually i was told that uh i was supposed to die last october oh, yeah no. I, I, I uh I, I ended up in an intensive care and like i was in a coma and like a and like the doctor I'm like yeah easy maybe a year or two and you know i went past that but that's awful eh, well you know it's like a. I got no regrets, you know, it's like, uh, you know, that, that's a great thing about, you know, living your life, you know, full and, and, and not doing everything. It's like, you know, I, I really, um, I think you only have a, you know, like oddness, you know, of course I feel bad for my wife, you know, right. she'll probably have to like find my, my dead and bloated blue corpse, you know, you know, and, and, I, and for that, I'm really, I'm really sorry, Michelle, but, um, you know, uh, 52 girls was sort of a, an outgrowth of, of um, of like, you know, a, a sense of mortality. Right. But basically, you know, it, it's like, um, you know, I, I realized that like anything cool I have it is because of my, um, my ability to have like cool relationships with, with, with chicks, with, with women, with girls. And, um, you know, all, all the important things in my life have, have become, have been because of girls. And, uh, so I thought, well, okay, you know, it, it's like, uh, I'll do 52 girls. That's a year. It's like a year of girls. And, um, you know, so each, uh, each little thing was, was basically my little, um, you know, PM to like a, a, a woman in my life that, that had changed in, in so many wild ways. And, and, you know, I went through, um, you know, like, a, you know, the, the first, you know, the woman who took my virginity, um, all the way up to SST. And, and like, um, at SST, you know, of course, uh, there were so many amazing women. I mean, um, first and foremost, uh, Karenoid, Karen Nix, you know, who did our retail a crazy ass fucking southern you know just you know amazing and uh uh linda trudnik who's our receptionist who i 
dearly loved and who, um, uh, gosh, just like, a, you know, epitomized like um, every, you know, tragic female archetype, you know, since Aristophanes, you know, it, it's like a, you know, she's, uh, she was, she was almost like a, a Greek drama in and of herself. Uh, she was like the model for a lot of Pettibone's drawings. Uh, okay. She was Ray's lover. She was horribly, horribly fucked up and fucked by just like callous men. Yeah. Well, read 52 girls. Uh, it's on yeah. Facebook. Uh, you can uh, read all about, uh, you know, this amazing woman, Linda Trudnick. Uh, I love you, Linda. Peace out. Of that Jackie House Dallas. Yeah, so Pete Two Girls it's like um you know, just if you're interested in, in like, you know, how like a, a weirdo like me gets formed, it's uh it's mostly through chicks and reefer. So um <laughs> just smoke some reefer and, and read my crap. Um so yeah, so that's uh, basically it. Now, uh this is about star power and I do have to say that uh you know, one of the coolest things about um being an SST is, is like, you know, uh, all the letters I would get, you know, it's like, um, we got a letter from, from Jay Mascus and he's like, uh, basically in crayon, you know, I want to be on SSD and live <laughs> forever. And, and like, um, like, wow, that's cool. Um, but I felt kind of guilty because like, um, a lot of our bands came from Homestead, right? which was Gerard Cosloy's label. Now Gerard, as you know, is like, you know, an amazing fella, but I've known Gerard since he was 15. I used to sneak him into like, you know, Mission of Burma shows at the underground. He's like an old Boston homie, like, you know, right. whatever. He gave me a lot of shit when I started my own publicity company and I, I did like this band called The Toll on Geffen and he, you know, wrote me this letter, you're selling out, you stupid faggot, you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> we didn't use faggot because he's like much more uh, cutting than that. Faggot's like <laughs> sort of like a low level thing. He, he was way more, way worse than, than you know, uh, faggot. But, um, Sonic Youth came from Homestead. Jay came from Homestead. Uh, when we signed him, he was like, um, you know, like, oh, yeah, I want to go in Boston. And I'm like, yeah. well, you know, you should talk to, uh, talk to like Slade and Coldry. Uh, they were uh, these two guys from uh, this band called Mod Lang, who I loved. And uh, some of my first recordings were done with them. Okay. And yeah, I said, well, hey, listen, you know, check out their studio, Fort Apache. And they had just started Fort Apache. So Jay recorded there, and, and later that became like the home of the Pixies and, right. you know, Breeders and Belly and Tanya Donnelly and, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, so it, it was kind of cool, you know, like, uh, you know, a, a, as I was moving through my, my, my shit at SST, you know, I was able to like, you know, sort of farm it back to Boston in a way. Right. And, you know, um, because of my Boston thing, you know, the... the um, Obviously, I, I think I told you Mission of Burn was my favorite band. So, so oddly enough, you know, Roger Miller got his solo stuff, No Man, on SST, and uh, Pete Prescott's band, Volcano Sons, you right. know, they got on SST. Yeah, you know, as a matter of fact, like, um, you know, Roger, <laughs> you know, he's like uh, in Mission of Burma. The reason they stopped is because he developed tinnitus, uh, right? Uh, this horrible yeah. ring in his ears. Yeah. And, and like he was saying, it's like, you know, the, the worst thing. Cause he's like a piano tuner, like an amazing, like musician guy. It's like, you know, the tone, it, it's flat. And I keep trying to pull my ear to like, you know, tune it, but it doesn't work. But, uh, so he'd gone to piano and that was no man. But, uh, when he came out, I'm like, Hey Roger, let's get together. And we did like just a fucking shitload of speed. 
and went to paid really uh Phil studio um right. Spinhead, Spinhead, yep. which is where Sonic Youth did you know tons of shit and I'm like hey, Roger Roger play guitar man it was the first time he played guitar uh since Mission of Burma and that's what changed his you know his shift back into guitar from piano so wow. so uh you know I, I I take a great amount of pleasure from that you know so yeah so you know because of the Boston thing you know it's like those guys you know got them on the label and and uh, but actually, you know, I I left and the Volcano Suns record came out like two weeks later. So that's how I know, like when I left SST. So, right. um, yeah. So Boston, you know, loomed large, you know, and uh, that's where I started all my crap. I have to ask you about one of my favorite Boston bands. I mean, you're mostly talking about post-punk stuff and this is pre-punk and maybe before your time. I'm not sure, but I'm a huge Real Kids fan. Do they play into your story at all? Oh, dude. Well, well, of course, you know, you can't be from Boston and not like rock with real kids. I, I did sound for the real kids probably 30 or 40 times. Wow. You know, it's like, um, <laughs> you know, I, I still go see, you know, John Felice when he comes to uh, comes to Maine. Not too often. Right. Um, he's on Ace of Hearts, yep. which is a Rick Hearts label, yep. which did Mission of Burma and all that sort of stuff. They had a great new record out. But yeah, you know, um, you know, when, when Alpo, like, OD, you know, it's like horrible and and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, Real Kids, Classic Ruins, um, you know, uh, the boob, Bob Colby, he's like a, he's like a dear old friend. He just moved to Tucson because he have a, had some health issues. You know, all of us are getting like so old, you know what I mean? It's like age is creeping in and and all this kind of crap. So it's like, you know, it's all this, that, and the other thing. But, um, but yeah, oh dude, the Real Kids, um, you know, foundational. I mean, you know, John Police, I mean, oh my God, you know, it's like a hippie Johnny. It's like, you know, <laughs> he goes back to Jocelyn Richmond, which is, is sort of sad. And, and, and I'll just uh, throw this in there. You know, the other great modern lover, Ace of Brebner, who uh, also from Boston, said Robin Lane, Charlie Festers, he just passed away, which is uh, really a, 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 a very sad occasion for all of us Bostonians. Right. So um, here's you, Ace, mock on my brother. But yeah, so yeah. that's uh, that's most of my spiel, dude. Right on. How about leave us with this? Seriously? We are uh, we're doing Annihilate this week, next week, and you mentioned Kara Nix. What can you tell us about the the cover shoot for that? <laughs> well, first off, I made that bong. Uh, <laughs> it was a post shoot, you know. So like, hang on, can you make a bong? I'm like, dude, of course. Uh, made the bong. Jordan, of course, is a uh, you know he's got the bandolier. Kara, you know, she was uh, she was our fox, and, and that was all shot right there at SST. Everything, you know. Uh, Jordan was, was was like our um, our little, uh, you know, he would do anything. It, right. It's like a, you know, he's like Bruce Springsteen in the Love Dolls, and uh, you know, it's just like he was uh, he was fucking amazing. Awesome, thanks so much, Michael. Is there anything you want to anything else oh, you want to add? Just that. Um, I loved SST and I love Greg and I love Chuck and I love Joe and I love Ray and I, I just love everybody. And I just, uh, sometimes feel like a, a child of a divorce. You know what I mean? It, it's like, a I just hate my mom and dad fighting and I just wish we could all get along. Thanks a lot, space man. All right, dude. Much respect. Like I said at the top, it's uh, very cool to hear from a guy who was there part of the underground network also, I'm impressed, Brant, with your real kids question. <laughs> I had to ask, man. Yeah. If I'm talking to a, what do you call them, Boston, Bostonian? 
Bostonian. If I'm talking to a Bostonian that knows music, I got to ask about the real kids. Yeah, but you didn't ask about the modern lovers, dude. That's because the real kids are cooler. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Why don't you tell me some highlights from the interview? Uh, let's see. I love, like, just, I'm a huge Spinal Tap fan. So I liked hearing the story about this second project that he was working on a little bit. Legal Weapon. That was cool. He managed Legal Weapon. I think we've talked about them a few times. It's a band I like. Uh, one of my favorite stories was him talking about Flea coming into Jam with Black Flag. Yeah. Yep. That would have been wild. Yeah. Uh, just so many great stories, like the stuff about Chuck having them cold call clubs to see if they have live music. <laughs> and like <laughs> handing them a, rec a Rolodex and saying, this is every record store in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's how you did it back then. No Excel spreadsheets, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. How bad do you want one of those SST dividers that he was talking about for your Ooh. for your records? So bad. Yeah. So bad. Yeah. I also um I like how he's the spaceman. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. Oh, and I should say, before I forget, Michael T. Fournier made the, the hookup there. He knows Michael Whitaker, so thanks to to Michael T. Fournier for for the recommend there. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from the interview is that the the notion about SST being a safe haven for really creative people to just have a chance to fail, I think is what he says. Yeah, uh, I mean, a lot of the times when we're talking about bands on this show, a lot of what we're getting at is exactly that. Yeah. Is that, you know, some of the stuff that we're going to get to is really hard to listen to now and then. Some other stuff is insanely amazing and influential and legendary. And some stuff is, you know, hidden gems that we just don't know about and waiting to be discovered. Like, don't get me wrong. There are record labels out there nowadays that do stuff like this, but not nearly in this volume, not in this era and not with the same types of resources I mean, say what you will about Greg Ginn. A lot of people say a lot of neg negative stuff about him. But when you, you were just mentioning a moment ago about how, you know, supportive he was of um, a particular band that he just came upon. Right. Yeah. And he was definitely he was like for a moment in time there. People will say that was this stuff was crap. Why was this put out? But I mean, just the. The willingness and openness to just, and I, I guess like the resources to just say, yeah, put it out there. Let's see what happens. Yeah, for sure. You know, it, it's, uh, it's pretty insane. I want to uh, point everybody over to uh, Michael Whitaker's uh, blog, 52 Girls. The best place that I've found to, to um, access it would be on Facebook. If you just uh, put 52 Girls with a U, G-U-U. RLS into the search bar on Facebook, it should come up. On the Facebook page, it calls it a sojourn into music through 52 girls who helped the narrator become interesting. And <laughs> the narrator is Michael Whitaker. And it's really good. There's a, a lot of SST folks like Jennifer Schwartz, Kara Nix, who we talked about in this podcast, I believe, uh, Janet 
uh, Houston, Linda Trudnich, who I think he mentions in this interview, and then a bunch of other people like Lydia Lunch, Texas Terry, and all kinds of, well, there's 52 of them. And it's really, really interesting, interesting read. He's a, he's a really good writer. So right on. Do you want to talk about this release, Ryan? Yeah, let's talk about Star Power. History Lesson, Part 2. So you were saying at the start of this episode that you you liked this release, or you, you were getting off on it, maybe? Well, more the latter, I would say. I, I mean, I like 12 inches. I right. like 7 inches, I like 12 inches, I like LPs, but... Like 12 every inch EPs, then- you mean? 12-inch EPs, exactly. Like um, Every now and then, there's a 12-inch EP that's got something special that does something different than the song in the context of the album. And in the context of Evol, like Evol hit me in a a different way than I had expected or when I listened to it before because, I mean, I'm not as big of a Sonic Youth fan, but I am definitely a Sonic Youth fan. I'm not as big of a Sonic Youth fan as you are, but I am a fan, mostly though, like Daydream Nation, Goo, Dirty, and like after, not so much before. So it's interesting to hear this stuff in context. And when you listen to these songs on the 12 inch, I guess they are not less lost, but more noticeable than in the context of the album, Evil. I know I know so, what you're saying, but I I like 12 inch EPs too. Just not this one. No, I don't know. I just kept asking myself why. Why did this have to come out? I mean, the artwork artwork's cool. You got to give it that. The artwork's the best part about it for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, okay. Well, let's do this. We'll talk about the tracks in a minute, and I'll I'll tell you why I didn't think it was essential. It, it's hard for me not to see it as maybe a bit of a cash grab. So Evol, again, I will point everyone to our episode 59 on Evol, where we talk about these, this, these recording sessions and the tracks in more detail than we're going to on this episode. Uh, but the, the album Evol was released in May 86, and this was released in July of 86. And the CD sometime late 86. I mean the CD of Evol. But this did come out on a CD single, this Star Power. These three tracks. It also came out on one of those 3-inch CDs at some point. They did a a series of 10 inches in the 90s on several different colors of wax. It came out as a cassette single. (laughs) Which is why I say it's hard not to see it as a bit of a cash grab. Yeah, I guess so. The (laughs) 7-inch came out first on Blast First like the UK version. It was released in the UK on Blast First as a 7-inch, and that came with a Evol poster and like a a pendant or like a badge, Sonic Youth badge. Uh, that 7-inch only had Star Power and Bubblegum on it, though. It did not have Expressway to Your Skull. Yeah, well, you ask why Why does this thing exist? Isn't Doesn't Bubblegum provide an answer? Bubblegum is on the Evol CD and the Evol cassette. What? Yep. Oh, what, like the re-release? Nope. Nope, the SST. Well, I have the SST cassette and it has Bubblegum on it. Okay. So, I guess if you only had the vinyl, then maybe. I, I'm not sure how essential Bubblegum is, is as a track, though. 
There is some dead wax on that 7-inch, though, on the Blast First 7-inch that I found. It says, we tweak, we squeak, we freak. <laughs> and then the B-size says, we're rough, we're tough, we've had enough. Hmm. Do you want to talk about the tracks? Let's do that. Sure. Uh, well, the A-side is star power. So here's the thing for me, Ryan. This version, it's edited down to 2 minutes yeah. and 50 seconds. And the Evo- is that what bugs you? Yeah, the it take the so the Evol version is four minutes and forty six seconds, so almost two minutes less, and it's all the interesting parts that are taken out. Oh, for me. And again, if anybody wants to hear more detail on these tracks, we do we do talk about them, some little anecdotes about them in that episode, but that I'm not going to bother repeating here. But one thing I did find that I don't think we mentioned is that apparently that Thurston used to call this song Watt Power when they played it live. <laughs> As in Mike Watt, Power. Mike Watt Power. I don't know. The thing about this song for me is I, I tend to not like songs where the lyrics follow the melody. You know, like Iron Man or something like that. I mean, I do like, yeah. I, I do like Iron Man, but it's, it works because it's Black Sabbath. I don't know if it works so good with, with Sonic Youth hmm. for me. Uh, the B-side, Bubblegum, Again, we talked about that being written by Kim Foley. I don't know the album Outrageous that it's off of, the Kim Foley album, but you want to hear a a review I found about that album Outrageous that came out in like 1968. That's when the album sure. came out. This is by uh, Rob Fitzpatrick. He wrote this in The Guardian. The album sounds like Foley himself was off his ch- off his chump on weapons grade pharmaceuticals he rants raves rants raves seethes spits burps curses declaims screams and hollers his way across a heavy psychedelic set of knuckle scraping rockouts that recall a post lobotomy doors attempting an mc5 b-side while piled in the back of an inexpertly driven truck on ice and drugs on the moon. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It kind of makes me uh, want to listen to that, to be honest. Yeah, I was going to say, now I want to hear it, yeah. for sure. <laughs> wow. Uh, so that's the that's the B-side. And then the second track is Expressway to Your Skull, which, again, here is 4 minutes 30 seconds, and on Evol is 7 minutes 19 seconds. So almost 3 minutes removed. Actually, on Evol, it's not 7 minutes, 19 seconds. It goes on for infinity, because there's a locked groove. Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, I don't know. That's kind of my thoughts on this release, is just like, why? And the answer for me is cash grab. Cash grab. Yep. Yeah, well, certainly all the zillions of different versions. Mm -hmm. I could see that. Tell me about the artwork then, Brant. Well, it's a pretty iconic photo of Thurston Moore with like a paisley type shirt on. He's holding a sitar and he's got his hands up to his his eyes with the palms facing out and there's big eyes painted on his on his hand on like on his palms. And the back covers like a negative inverted photo closer up of the same picture. Photos by Lee slash Lazy 8. So I'm I'm assuming that's Lee Ronaldo. Yeah, that's what I thought. 
interesting that they didn't do any videos for any of these songs. Like if Star Power was the single, I mean, they did videos for several of the tracks on Evolve, but, but not Star Power. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Did you notice the, uh, like the typeface or whatever on the cover? Yeah. It's like Stars and Stripes, Star Power. Yeah. But the writing on the, like on the LP is Thurston's writing that he uses on a lot of Sonic Youth stuff. The big capital letters? Like the kind of, the handwritten stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I'm sure we mentioned this on the Evol episode, but Watt, of course, plays on the track Bubblegum. Yeah. And it's totally, it's totally obvious. Oh yeah, it sounds different for sure. Yeah. Sounds very Watty. No dead wax. Are we done already? Do we? Are we going straight to the ballot result? Unless you've got anything else to mention, I'm good on this one. Ballot result. I was kicking myself, Ryan. This is our 80th episode, so we release our a kind of our list of our ballot result every 20 episodes, like our cassette tape, comp tape. Woo! Yeah. All right. So this is like uh, volume four coming out. Yeah, exactly. Just like Black Sabbath. <laughs> no volume four man not, ju- not just like black sabbath <laughs> so why why are you kicking yourself because there's a different song you want to put on well i don't like star power i don't hate it but i don't love it and uh, i don't same with bubble gum i don't hate it don't love it we picked expressway to your skull off of evil and i wish we would have picked something like Tom Violence, Shadow of a Doubt, or In the Kingdom, number 19. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. we could have picked it off of this one. Big time screw up on my part. I, I blame myself. As do I. Yeah. So I would say uh, this time, though, Bubblegum would be my pick. Okay. Yeah, man. See, what does that say about this single, man? Like, they released Star Power as, like, the single, and it's the last track that either, either of us would pick. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I don't know. And and why didn't they just release it as a promo single then? Like they did with for other stuff. Must have been a cash grab. It must have been. <laughs> <laughs> must have been a cash grab. Oh, all right. Well. So bubblegum. That's all I got. You, well, we at least it has Watt. At least it has yeah. Watt. It's got a bit of star power. You a could bit say. of Watt power. Yep. Ryan, what's next week? Next week is another single. It's SST81, the Black Flag single, Annihilate This Week. Right. And in keeping with our theme, Ryan, of trying to keep things interesting, especially on episodes with shit we've already talked about, we have a really cool guest next week that we've talked mentioned several times on the podcast. Robert Vodica is going to be on the podcast next week. I'm really excited for people to hear it. Yeah, that'll be cool. Big thanks to Michael, hey? Oh, yeah, man. Thanks, Michael, for being on the podcast. It was really great having you on as a guest. Hope everybody liked it. See you next week. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at MoJackPod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is MoJackPod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. 
If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.